Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam Balderstone for another episode of Bedrock and Balderstone. And tonight we're talking about the last episode of iClaudius. I know we're a little bit late on this. We've been kind of staggering it out, uh, much to the chagrin of Adam, who's probably had to renew his subscription to the uh, the Acorn <laughs> service. But uh, but we, we finally got to the last episode of iClaudius Old King Log. And so this is the episode after the death of Messalina, where he, he marries uh, uh, Agrippina the Younger, and uh, Nero becomes his heir, and he decides to just let the poison seep out and and uh, hatch a bizarre plot to restore the Republic by just embracing tyranny, essentially. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's sort of the, the very brief uh, description of the episode. Uh, before we get into the, the episode itself, Adam, what did you think of this one? Uh, it's it's a really interesting last episode. I mean, I I like the fact that, you know, as far as events that happen in it, it's everything is by this point in the story is so repetitive and predictable <laughs> the way things turn out. But having the spin in it, of, of, like you say, Claudius having this bizarre plot where it's like, yes, I'm going to do this and it's all going to be so terrible. It's going to bring the Republic back. This is the, the, the way the way he is continually just you know, deliberately playing into their hands and they're utterly perplexed about why is this so easy? Why, what, what is happening here is, uh, is it, it adds an interesting note to it. I mean, it would be an entirely kind of comedic thing if it wasn't for the fact that none of it ends up working out the way Claudius wants, which ultimately makes the whole thing tragic, but it's, it's a great episode. Yeah. I, I was, I, see, it's funny. Cause I always, in the past, this has always been kind of my least favorite part of the show. I guess because it's kind of like this is the winding down of the of the series in a way. Um, yeah. And and I feel like all the best has already passed. But this time around, I really really enjoyed this episode in a, in in a really big way. And I, I think part of it was I, I maybe I noticed more things than I, I had previously noticed. But also I, I I realized I forgot a lot about things that had happened. For example. Uh, Narcissus, the, um, uh, the, the, the Freeman, who's his, he becomes like his political advisor. I think yeah. I was saying the whole podcast that he just kind of disappears from the show and doesn't, and, and, and that's not at all the case. I don't know yeah. why I assume that. Um, he, he, he is there until the bitter end and he has some of the most interesting lines of dialogue in this episode. He's, yeah. he, he really shines as a character. We really get to see the contrast between him and Palis, which is, Again, I think one of the one of the better aspects of the later episodes of the show. Um, so, so I have to, you know, I have to confess. Number one, I was completely wrong about like a crucial detail because I, I just I, I I remembered incorrectly. Um, but also, I I have to I have to say I was wrong in 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 my preview of of my rating of this episode uh, mm-hmm. as we got closer to it because I think I was saying like this is sort of not my favorite part of the show. This was this was actually really quite interesting to me, um, and and I want to get into it later because I had some thoughts about about this this episode in a gaming context. But we'll get to that at the end of the conversation, I think. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I don't know what what was uh, what, what did you think of of, of Nero and uh, uh, African uh, 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 Agrippina the Younger. Well, by this point in the show, they are practically like stock characters. You just, yeah. you know, the, 
you've got the, the schemer and you've got her dumb son she's trying to get on the throne. I mean, it's, it's a continually repeating pattern yep. and they've become, they've more, they've become more and more broad as the show comes in. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, the scheming young person who wants to be on the throne. I mean, the first version of it, we, we kind of had a more tragic character uh, in the in the early on at least in that role and then we've got the really frightening one with Caligula and this time he's just he's, he's just kind of a buffoon by this point and uh yeah I think that so the the uh the Agrippinella character Agrippina the Younger she is um Nero's mother and she's the 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 sister of Caligula I believe and yeah. also the daughter of Germanicus one thing I noticed in this episode that I really hadn't quite caught in previous viewings of it was just how much she sounds like John Hurt in the way that she hmm. talks. Do you know what I mean? Now she's not, I mean, she's not talking like, you know, she's not, no, she's, not, she's not sounding like a guy, but she's got like a, um, she's got like, there's a gravel tone to her voice that is very reminiscent of John Hurt's Caligula. And I realized just how closely it pairs them. To, you know what I mean? It, it, it really makes you realize like not only she sound and kind of look like him, but it's it's just eerie uh, when when you pick up on it. Um, and the guy, I, who who did they get to play Nero in this? Because that guy really needs uh, his own show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, did not Christopher Biggins. Up. Christopher Biggins played okay. Nero. Okay. Uh, it, it, he he was just a I don't know. I just really like this presentation of Nero. Um, it, it, he he's. He's like a charmer. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's, yeah. He, he, and, and, and he, and he, and he, and he, he can almost seem like a nice guy on first impressions. Um, but he's just definitely not. Um, so I, I thought, but I, but I love the way he carried the character. And, uh, but to get into the sort of the story of it, the, the whole thing is kicked off at a dinner with the Freeman when they're both trying to get him to choose a wife. And Claudius is kind of having this, this weird, uh, I don't know what you would call He's sort of ruminating. And, and, he, and he starts, uh, and it's sort of, it's led into, the, st- the beginning of the episode actually starts with Claudius's death. You have Nero and Agrippina the Younger looking at him, and then they go to look at his papers to get, uh, to get, his, uh, um, to get his will. And, and they find his history there, and, and that's where they, they stumble on this line where we see which sort of transitions into the scene with him sort of sitting there thinking the line that he's old King log. And he says the frog pool wanted a King Joe sent them old King log. And, uh, and he decides that his chief fault was he was too benevolent and that it dulled the blade of tyranny. And so he decides violent disorders call for violent remedies. And he decides to let all the poisons that lurk in the mud hatch out. And, and it's at this moment that the two advisors are trying to suggest wives to him. And, uh, Narcissus suggests a very good, it sounds like he's like, we know that Narcissus has his best interests at heart and he, he, he proposes somebody who's probably pretty reasonable, but maybe not all that intelligent. And Palis takes the angle of, well, she's too stupid. And, and mm-hmm. he proposes in a very sort of clever way, kind of says, Ooh, I've just had a revelation. It hadn't occurred to me. She's been so close to us all this time. I didn't even notice. And he suggests, uh, Agrippina, the younger, who is uh, Claudius's niece, and and uh, and Claudius agrees after after a sort of lengthy debate and dispute between the two advisors, and uh, you know Narcissus is besides himself with uh with 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 with, with concern, 
Um, but I don't know. What did you think of that scene? Number one. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting scene. I mean, the, uh, the way Claudius is just completely detached for, for the, uh, for most of the scene reacting to nothing, nothing that's being said. I mean, he's clearly listening, but, uh, and they're just, they're just kind of talking over the top of him back and forth and having this, this big argument here. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, a case where, where once again, you know, you know exactly what everyone's agenda is right off the bat. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, You've got you because obviously having someone who's not going to be a schemer that is not smart that is just going to be there everything everything about the choice that you know well I, I don't know I I, I I what did you think about the scene I'm sorry I'm uh oh no that's okay that's okay no I mean I like the scene I thought I thought that it was it was uh it was a really well written scene I liked I, I had forgotten that we really did get this much of uh, Palis and Narcissus and I do like those characters so I I quite enjoyed that. And um, and I think that I think that it was it was it was a really good moment for for Narcissus seeing seeing him uh, sort of have that heated debate with with Palis about the whole topic and 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 and, and it really kind of crystallizes who these two guys are at this point because yeah until it now, is it is inter- okay to make my point now that I, I kind of lost my thread on before it's just, it's interesting how it is in this episode we really get to see these characters the most openly it's like typically you'd you'd introduce a character, you give you a feel for them. And then, you know, you don't need to explain them. It's kind of interesting that, that we, we get the most upfront portrayal of them at this point in the series. And, and it's, and, and a lot of things are very upfront in this episode, like the whole way that Agrippinella and Nero <laughs> portrayed, they're really sort of, I mean, they are, they're dripping with villainy. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're there. And, yeah. and even when like in the, in the, you know, so, so, uh, Nars, not Narcissus, Palis go, goes to Agrippinella and it turns out that he's clearly her lover, but she's probably just using him to get what she wants. Um, and, and, and he tells her that, that, that Claudius is greed. So she goes to Claudius and she's pretty much like just, a, I mean, she's not real. I mean, she's trying to deceive Claudius, but just barely, she's wearing <laughs> all of her, all of her, all of her, uh, uh, like her attempt to seduce him is it's so terrible. transparent. Yeah, it's so transparent yeah. and and borderline disgusting. Do you know? It's just like yeah. it's it's a uh, and 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 he informs her that you know he he really he basically says to her like you know I I have no interest in you physically. I just want your mind. Like that's I want I need a I need a smart wife. Basically, is is the reason. Uh-huh. Gives her. And it's and it's interesting to watch how different things are in because you said like you said it's like a rhyme it repeats and so this is clearly a callback to Livia and Tiberius but just how different they are from them and how how Agrippinella is you know Claudius just sows this seed of concern where she's just like why is he why is he agreeing so readily like and there's even a later scene where she's sort of trying to pull Olivia and she's like oh I I, I have this idea and, that, and she's trying to be really subtle and suave about it but he keeps heading her off at the path and he's like oh the answer's yes before she even says it oh yeah, yeah. the answer's yes oh you want to make Britannicus or so you want to make uh, Nero the heir fine you know that's uh, you know but it's not it's not just that he's saying yes to anything he knows he also says what it's going to be when she's like yeah. no I was done no your question's going to be be this right and and so yeah. it's funny because number one the audience has already seen all this stuff happen before so he's kind of he's kind he's kind of um he's kind of 
saying what the audience is thinking in a way like you know like that like that yeah but but also he's seen it before because he lived this life and and so it shows the wisdom but also it's it's very it's another rhyme because his behavior is so close to augustus's behavior when he starts to get smart about what's going on around him you know that sort of that sort of the sort of the way that he's rebuffing livia uh, you know, the way that he's he's sort of teasing her and taunting her uh, when he when he kind of figures out all the things that she's doing. He's yeah. kind of doing the same thing to everybody around him. And and so I, I kind of like that aspect of it. And it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, like you say, the audience knows the show doesn't in any way try and pull the wool over here. It's like with with Messalina when Messalina first shows up, we get a number of scenes with Messalina where there is no indication of what she's up to. It's like the show plays a little subtle at first before, before we really kind of see what she's up to. And, uh, but yeah, you know, it would be, it would be kind of insulting at this point if the show was going to, going to, going to play the game of, Oh, but no, this is, this, this is going to work out. This is going to be fine. And it's easier with Messalina. They probably can safely assume most people don't know who she is, but most people have heard the name Nero. So there is that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, the, the moment Nero shows up, you know, that's um, uh, that's a thing. Um, yeah, we get a little harp solo by him and everything just to just to play on the fact the audience knows exactly who he is. And uh, and yeah, so but but ultimately over the course of the episode, what's up, what ends up happening is he he makes uh, Nero his heir and he sort of casts aside his own son, Britannicus. But we learn that he believes Britannicus is actually the son of Caligula anyways. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this whole scene where he explains to Britannicus why he's been treating him the way he has. And he says to him, like, look, I don't, you know, I'm telling you who your father is because I, I just want you to know. But no matter who your father really is, you know, I regard you as my son and I love you. Uh, but I, but you're my instrument for returning, restoring the Republic, basically. And he puts all this stuff onto Britannicus, who really doesn't want any of it. Britannicus basically says to him, nobody believes in the Republic anymore. And his, yeah. his plan is very elaborate. He's going to send Britannicus to England, basically. Uh, and the queen there is going to sort of shuffle him north. Um, and I, I like how they set this up because there's the whole, there's the whole try, not, not try, but, but Claudius appears before the Senate when they announce the final victory of conquest over Britain. And they have a Caractacus uh, appear yeah. before the Senate. And it's a very interesting scene because he basically gives like a William, uh, uh, what is it, the the uh, Braveheart character, William Wallace, William Wallace type sort of, you know, you know, you better sleep with a sword by your side every night because you're gonna need it, and and he's sort of surprised when the Senate applauds him. Oh, well, what a wonderful performance! <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, uh, and, and, and I think it, it, it's sort of interesting because number one, like he he's behaving this way because he's defending his homeland, and I feel the thing that it's sort of does for the show is it says whoa these romans are a little bit bloodthirsty like there's a uh like 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 to like that that they that they respected that speech says something really bizarre about them do you know what i mean um well yeah i mean bloodthirsty is this is part of it but it's also also just the fact that they they don't take this threat is real in any way. I mean, it's, 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 it was entertaining to them to an extent, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> well, I think it was, but I think it also harkens back to the martial nature of Rome and how, Oh yeah. That's what they I respect. Think that's definitely part of it. But, like, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's just, it's just an odd, you know, uh, 
it, it, it was it was an unusual scene. I thought it, I thought it was played well. But but what I liked about it is how it plants the seed for when he says, "Okay, now I'm going to have Caracas's son take you to England." It really helped lay the groundwork for that. Sure. So that when you get there, it's it, it works. But it was groundwork laying that wasn't just pure. You know, it wasn't just setting up the table. It was it was a really engaging moment in the show on its own and so that's why i liked it um, uh-huh but but oh go ahead but yeah it, uh, go, just going back to the uh, point about you know the uh nobody wanting the republic anymore it's uh you know claudius kind of does half the job he spends all his time kind of setting it up so the 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 position of the emperor will be weak and just a joke but he does nothing. He he builds nothing as far as building up any kind of any kind of force that can be the Republican force that moves in yeah. after the Emperor. And it's kind of revealed at that moment when he talks to Britannicus. He's like, "Well, well there's there isn't anyone. It doesn't exist." It's uh, well, yeah. Pres- presumably, he leaves it to pay, uh, to Narcissus, but we don't know what you know. And, and Narcissus, I assume, would have put all the right pieces in place, but without Britannicus and without the the the, the the will among the Romans. Yeah, I, I yeah. suppose you're right. Maybe Narcissus was doing more, but it's uh, I don't know. I mean, once again, Narcissus is uh, another older person who may have the same lack of connection to what yeah. people are really thinking too. Well, so Nar- Narcissus is unusually uh, virtuous in this show. Do you know what I mean? He's exactly. like he's loyal. He's loyal to Claudius. He. I mean, obviously, he does care about his own skin. At a few points, we do see him raise that issue, but he's honest about sure. that. He doesn't—he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. conceal that from Claudius. So I feel well, like he's—he's he's a... concerned he's going to get murdered. Is you yeah. know, is his concern? It's not like he's being selfish. Yeah. It's like it's like, oh, you just got me killed. Is a reasonable concern. <laughs> um, so I find him a very endearing character. I, I think this was yeah. an episode where he really shined. But that scene with Britannicus, it really is, you know, it, it's, I, I enjoyed it. And I, and I enjoyed the, the relationship that he has throughout the episode with Britannicus and, yeah. and how it's, it, and again, it, it's like you said, it, like these things keep harkening back. It, it harkens back to so many of those hopeful moments early in the show that just sort of were snuffed out by Livia. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it, yeah. it's that same kind of thing. Um, and in this case, it's sort of maybe snuffed out by Claudius's own, misestimation of the situation um you know it's it's interesting because i mean the reason his son turns it down i mean it is partly because he doesn't think there's any any desire to go back to the republic but it's also because he thinks it would be cowardly to go run up there and hide he's he's too too direct and it's 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 interesting because it's it's a miscalculation on claudius's part because claudius was always the guy who you know, he was he was basically a good person, but he was always willing to take the route of staying low, yeah. keeping your profile low. And he didn't understand his son at all, that his son is this wants to be this noble Roman character, not not a guy who skulks off off to Britain. <laughs> He's more like Germanicus or something, his son. Exactly. And and, and I think I, I think that's 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 sort of the interesting thing. And it's also interesting when when he dies, uh uh, Narcissus and, uh, and and Britannicus have a conversation over him and Britannicus kind of paints, almost acts like his father was a loser uh, on the way out. You know, I forget what his exact phrasing was, but he, but he says like, you know, I, you know, like he, he says, I'm wearing my manly 
my manly garb or my manly garments or whatever it was. And, yeah. and I can take <clears throat> care of myself, you know, too bad. My father couldn't, you know? Yes. And, yeah. and it's like, well, he took pretty good care of himself when you think about it, uh, <laughs> you know? And so, so I think, I think, I think the, the thing about Britannicus is his flaws. He's, he's kind of a little bit naive about all this stuff and he doesn't seem to like, I think, I think, you know, he, he has this, uh, this expectation that that being brave is going to be all that's required being brave and strong is all that's needed in this situation and yeah. and he and, and maybe he is that way because he's been living in the shadow of his father's own sort of physical weakness and doesn't and and, and maybe doesn't respect his father's mind as much as he should and mm-hmm. and so i think that's the lacking component with him i think if he i think i think it, you know you're sort of you you really wish he would have made a different choice in the context of the show you are uh you know, you you know that it's a tragically bad decision. It's impossible to watch this and not have have even if you only vaguely know Roman history, you probably know that things don't pan out well for for Britannicus here. So it's 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 it, it, I think the show does a very good job of a few things here. Number one, it helps sort of explain some of the erratic decisions that claudius might have made um you know I mean? it helps it, you know if you want claudius to be the hero of the show or the book this is kind of a good way to do it where it's sort of like he's got this uh this bizarre tragic scheme that really does not work out um it's yeah. a complete miscalculation um it's it's an it's it's an interesting it's an interesting patch to the problem of how do we turn this guy into sort of the hero of this of this story um but uh but also the uh, i think that the um uh the the whole way that they that they close the episode with with the sibyl and the conversation that he has with the sibyl just really yeah. helps bring it to a nice a nice conclusion um and so i don't know is, is, is there, there's there's a lot that happens in the in the show and i don't know you know we're, we're i'm worried that if we go over every plot beat we're going to be here for an hour and a half so rather <laughs> than do that i think what I'd like to do is first ask you, is there anything in the show that you think was worth commenting on? Any episode in it that you think we need to dwell on before we get to sort of more general thoughts? Uh, let's see. A notable plot beat here. Uh, you know, there's obviously the scene where he uh, appears before the Senate and uh, has his vision that was uh well, he gives his final speech to yeah. the senate yeah that's that is a uh, a remarkable scene there and, and in that one he um he says something really unusual he says the man who lives by the pool shall open their graves and deliver rome up again and he seems to be uh you know on the one hand uh, one part of you thinks was he talking about like you know the uh, like like the christian like end times or like what's going on here or is he talking about his book do you know what I mean like yeah the, um you know is that is that the the because he because he's basically saying i've known all these great people who have passed on and they're going to speak again they're going to they're you know people will know you know huh. what rome truly was it, it may be it may be unintentional, but it also crossed my mind that you know it's like you you open up your graves. It's like the book is by graves that you know all this information is a, in too. That's a really no, that, no. That's a I completely missed that, but that's a really good point. That's a that's probably deliberate. That's probably deliberate. It, it very well could yeah. be. I uh, yeah, I don't know, but that was that that immediately popped into my head. 
But then he sees the ghosts of all the people, not all the, well, he sees like the ghosts of everybody, but only a few actually speak to him. Uh, and, and they're all, many of them are actually, I think, younger than when they first show up in the show. Like Augustus and Livia are quite yeah. a bit younger. So it seems like they've all gone back to sort of their, their like early adulthood. Uh, you know, like when they were, you know, I don't know how old they're supposed to be, but basically the age of the actor, I think, is, is what, what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so Augustus is the first and he says, well done, Claudius, emperor after all. Who would have thought? And it's, you know, it's sort of, the, you know, it fits with what you would have expected Claudius to say. Then Livia says, uh, you know, you're a fool boy. You always were. People say it's not your fault. But if it's not your fault, whose is it, eh? And yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to comment on this because because number one. Livia, during the show, she spends so much time being mean and 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 kind of like she's villainous, but she's not she's not like a seductive character or anything like that. All of her attributes are more oriented towards politics, and she's quite a bit older, at least by the second episode or so. Like she's she's playing an older lady for most of the time that we see her. You don't realize just how beautiful she's supposed to be. But in this scene, you sort of, number one, you realize how beautiful she is, but she also is speaking very seductively in that scene. And I realized going back, a lot of the way she was talking before was kind of seductive and it just completely escaped me. Do you know what I mean? And so I thought that was kind of an interesting character detail. Um, and then we... Yeah, all, oh, go it's, ahead. It's, I just to go on the Olivia thing, it's, it's, it's interesting too that, you know... She's someone that picks up on the fact during that during that 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 birthday party scene, basically, you know, the, she she picks up on the fact that, you know, Claudius is not nearly as foolish as he acts. She's someone yeah. that sees through his act. So, you know, her accusing him, well, if it's not your fault, who's it is, is partly because she knows she knows yeah. that just for his own safety to keep his head down and not not take a stand on things. He was playing it up. <laughs> no, no, and that's the that's the other thing about that 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 last part of the line where she says, "If it's not your fault, who is it?" A when she says yeah. that, you realize like that's like I don't think any other actress could have delivered that line that way, and I think that's why that woman's playing Livia. Do you know what I mean? Like like the yeah. way she says that line, it's got like a an edge and power to it that I, like I'm struggling to 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 quote it because I can't say yes. it the way she said it. No, yeah, there's something she does where she like narrows her eyes right at the end when she's saying it. It just is just just nails, just puts it puts like a, a punctuation on the end of like per so perfectly. I had to like rewind five seconds yeah. just to like watch watch the expression she was making again. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's beautiful. And, and it's just a reminder of what a great character she was. Like you just you just you, just, you know because yeah. she she passes away you know many episodes ago. And you're like, oh, yes, Livia, this is like kind of where it all began. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I thought that was worth commenting on. And then when we get to Caligula, he's actually interrupted. Or I'm sorry, no, we have Antonia first. And she tells him that his nose is running. So that's pretty much what you would have expected. <laughs> yes. um, and then Caligula is interrupted by Tiberius, who, uh, who <laughs> tells him to wait his turn. And, and I, think, <laughs> I think the interesting thing about Tiberius here is this is clearly the pre-darkness Tiberius. This is the Tiberius who still looks a little more human and, and compassionate huh. than the Tiberius in the later episodes. And, uh, and he basically says to him, it wasn't worth it, was it? I could have told you that. 
And uh, oh, it's funny. It, it is funny because it's like Claudius actually did do a lot of worthwhile things as yeah. emperor. You know, so it's, it was a it was a very kind of seeing things purely from his own perspective kind of thing to say, really. And I think he meant on a personal level, not necessarily on a like. I, I think, well, I, think yeah. Yeah, I think there's an understanding that they're all kind of doing great things in different ways, even if they're horrible great things. But but on a personal level, there was no deep gratification. Well, yeah, of course. Because once again, though, I feel it's it's a, it's just Tiberius purely seeing things from his own perspective. Because mm-hmm. it's not like Claudius did make any sacrifices to be emperor. He he yeah. he he at no point schemed to get his way on the throne <laughs> yeah. and like t- threw things away. It's like he just just fell right into his lap. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's fitting that Cal- Caligula is the last one to speak. And and he has sort of an interesting thing. He says, number one, he calls him Uncle Claudius, which I think yeah. it's sort of, again, it gets back to sort of that relationship they have is like a real genuine relationship. And he yeah. says, you know, I wasn't the Messiah after all. And he's got like this boyish <laughs> look on his face. And he says, who would believe it? You know, you could have knocked me over with a feather when they told me. It was, it, I just, I don't know. It's, it's a real sort of uh, fitting end for Caligula's uh you know, uh, story in the show. Uh, uh, it is. Cause it's like, you know, he's so obsessed with being this God and, you know, becoming the Messiah when we see him earlier. But it's funny that, that afterwards it's like, ultimately he's like, Oh, when it turns out, you know, when he dies, it's like, he kind of, you know, when, when he's actually finds he's not a God and he gets murdered, it's, it's like this big act. But it's like afterwards, he's like, oh, oh well, guess I guess I wasn't. <laughs> he, he's just he's just such a mercurial person. Yeah. That, like it just it doesn't doesn't stick to him. <laughs> well, and it's it is and again, it's one of these things where like like who would have thought you could make Caligula like that 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 sympathetic like that like uh, you know he just he, he's a very likable character despite the fact that he's a horrifying character in the show. And and I and I really like how the when he says Uncle Claudius, there's like a respect to what he's saying. Do you know what I mean it's like it's like a, <laughs> yeah. there's a veneration for Claudius in the way he addresses him there. Um, so you know it just it just it just works with the the, the family theme of the show. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so you know I, I I thought that you know that was definitely one of the uh, I mean that that's a critical scene in the show and and, it, and it's funny because I remember when I first saw that scene I didn't like it because it was sort of like dreamy and weird and 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 I don't know just, it, just, it easily could have been like hey here's all your favorite characters from the show yeah. remember it's the last episode and we're gonna trot them out for just just for closure's sake but no but I I really I really thought it was perfect it, it worked perfectly for me. So when you say you didn't like it at first, like when you first the first time you watched the series years ago, you mean or yeah, yeah, I I um uh, like the very first time I watched it, that scene just didn't land well with me for whatever I don't remember the particulars, but I I'm assuming it was because because of what you were saying, I probably saw it as that kind of a scene, but in in this time I really liked it, and I think because I was seeing a lot of the things that I had. You know, like the first time you watch the show, you don't notice everything. And there's still things that I don't notice. Oh, um, sure. But but over the years of watching it and thinking about it, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that like really resonates with me has become more clear in my mind. And that scene this time around, it just brings a lot of those elements back together in a nice way. And so it's sort of it, 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 I just found it working better than it had, you know, on my first viewing of it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, we've talked before during this series about, about you know, in my case, I haven't watched the series since I was in my early 20s when I was a very different person than I am in my, my mid-40s now. And, yeah, th- th- this whole episode, I mean, I liked the episode the first time. I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but, man, it's just it's, – it's one of those things where I, I feel like I have a lot more perspective now, and it just yeah. – this episode landed so much better because I, I I am closer to the jaded person that Claudius is in this episode more than the more somewhat idealistic person I was in my early 20s. Well, I think that is part of it. I think that is part of it because when I was younger and I watched like Claudius, like I said, you watch it at that age and you sort of you, 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 you have certain feelings when certain you know moments in the show happen that are uh, a little bit naive, maybe. And yeah, and, and now you know, you see the show and, 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 and there's something about this sort of older Claudius who's just kind of, you know, sort of seen it all and making one last stab. But even when the stab doesn't land, he almost doesn't really care. He's too tired. Do you know what I mean? Like that scene with yeah. the Sybil, she, she tells him like, you know, Britannicus is going to be killed and, you know, uh, and, and Narcissus is going to be killed by Agrippinella, but then Nero will kill her, you know, and he's like, oh, that's kind of how it always happens, isn't he? He's, he's just very peaceful and grandfatherly in that in that regard. So I, I, <laughs> it, it, I, I, I think that it's a it's a nice closing scene, and it's also it sort of matches the time. as you get older, those kinds of passions fade. Like even even Claudius's sort of burning passion to restore the Republic, it's not all that burning by the end. Do you it's, know what I mean? it's a residual thing. Yeah. But yeah. But that's it. That's the thing that, you know, once again, when I'm younger, when I was younger, it's like restoring the Republic. It's like, well, of course you've got to restore the Republic. It's like the, the, the show kind of letting go of like Britannicus, not accepting that as a, as a thing. It's just like that, that, that was just inconceivable to yeah. me at the time, you know, but I'm like, okay, yeah, society changes, the world moves on. I mean, well, I still think it would be a good thing. I I, I understand his perspective. <laughs> well, and I think, and I think the point is making it's just it's just not going to happen. Whether whether it would be a exactly. good thing or not, that was sort of the the point he was making. Um, but well, it's like you can't you can't impose a republic. A republic yeah, is yeah, a collective yeah. thing. If there is no public desire for a republic, Britannicus can't can't go out there with his sword and enforce it. <laughs> and also, Britannicus was pretty honest. He was saying, "Look, I want my chance to rule. Like, I want to be. Yeah, you know, he yeah. he wanted the power. He wasn't. He you know he wasn't as nefarious as Agrippinella, but he was he was he was you know power hungry in his own way and. And, yeah. and also, I mean, you know, to be fair, you know, Claudius did murder his mother. You know, he, I think, I think, oh, I think, yeah. I think, I think grand, grand scheme of things in this episode, Britannicus comes off pretty well because he, you know, for all the stuff he's been through, including that, he's still pretty loyal to his father, despite pretty significant mistreatment, even if it's yeah. well-intentioned mistreatment, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty difficult, uh, uh, thing to sort of set aside so um because what we see over the episode is he's just constantly favoring nero and pushing britannicus further and further out not really sh- and and also he admits to nero that he that early on he couldn't even show him affection because he thought he believed uh he he, he believed that uh uh britannicus was um caligula's son and so mm-hmm. he didn't 
he, you know, but to an extent that's, that's kind of cold to an extent because it's like, it's like, okay, well, he's not your son, but he's your nephew's son. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I would, you know, I, I would still feel some sense of responsibility for someone in that case. Well, but I, I think, I think with, Claudius, the issue was it was the the sense of betrayal that he had with Messalina, and that was just the like the the physical evidence. Do you know what I mean? Like like after because after well, he... was it was it a betrayal though? Like I don't know. I mean, would it have been like if it was his first son? Like could it, I mean Caligula? Well, yeah, I guess it would have oh. been after. Yeah, I was getting, I'm getting the timeline mixed up. Well, no, here, I, I don't but... know. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying in that respect. I'm saying the sense of betrayal he has after all the stuff that happened with Messalina happens. I think he sees, you know, just like that's the point where, where, like, that's the starting point. Like he should have seen it the the moment Caligula introduced her to him, and sure. and 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 it would be very difficult, I think, knowing that after the fact for him to express any affection to Britannicus because it's just a constant reminder of how naive he was and how. How yeah, was, I guess. How he I was, mean, yeah. yeah, do you know what I I'm mean, saying? Like he was just uh, just completely humiliated by this woman. Um, and well, yeah, because to me, I guess I guess I wasn't looking at it through his perspective because it never really quite occurred to me that you know this dancing girl that Caligula brings out to do this performance with him. That's like, of course, they were they were there was yeah. something going on yeah. there. It's like I just figured Caligula's done with her. You know, he passes her off. You know, he passes her off to, to Claudius and stuff. But it's like the fact that she would be. She'd end up carrying his child. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you're right. I, I, I'm just underestimating how how blinkered he was about the whole situation. But, um, but yeah. So, so I don't know. It was. Uh, I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's a good closure, and it kind of brings me to the uh, the topic in gaming I wanted to get to because as I was watching oh, yeah. this, well, well, as I was watching this episode, I. I I kept thinking to myself, this would be a really good starting point for a campaign. Um, and the starting point is, you know, the wake of Claudius's death, mm-hmm. Britannicus's retinue. Say that plan does go into effect, the plan that, that Britannicus refuses to participate in. That's a really interesting campaign to sort of to launch into. Um, it is. You know, and so I, 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 it doesn't necessarily have to be Roman. It could be in a fantasy setting. It could be in any setting, really. Any setting where you have royalty and a, you know, lineage of any kind. You could do it in a Chinese setting. You could do it in, you know, in anything, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think it would be a really cool uh, campaign as a launch pad. And I, and I like the idea of sort of beginning with exile. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a really interesting starting point. And, uh, and I've been in campaigns where people have had to sort of claim the throne and, and they're very hit or miss, but I think this would be a really good, uh, premise that would, that's strong enough to kind of sustain a solid campaign on it. I I don't know if you could share those thoughts, but no, no, it definitely could be good. And I mean, and you could go with a more traditional role-playing game, but I could see that would really make a good, good hill folk, uh, yeah, yep. set up. It's like if you ran it with that system, it's like boom, just set it up as a TV show, and you know, like in that with the with the main cast being the people that are all the different schemers, and you set up you set up you set up some conflict between them, like subtle conflicts between yeah. them, but they all have to work together towards this yeah. goal, and you'd have the the ideal the ideal hill folk campaign. 
I think that's what we should do because we've been talking a long time about doing Hill Folk as I Claudius. I think yeah. that would be a really cool I Claudius campaign because <laughs> I think that that starting point it's, it, it 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 gets us to a point where we where number one you deviate enough from history that it's sort of like anybody's game. Do you know what I mean? You don't really yeah. know how it's going to pan out. But you're also not doing this thing where you're just going through the motions of the show and try, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's not like we're just yeah. sort of going back to like Claudius when he's younger and everybody knows that what we really want is for Claudius to get to the point that's at the end of the show. We're sort of we're sort of ripping this thing out of the show that never even really happened and making it happen and then seeing where it goes. So I, I think it would be kind of cool. And I think it could work for, like you said, it could work for a D&D campaign or any other sure. kind of campaign. But I do like, I think, I, I think it would work really well in Hillfolk because I, I remember the experience when you ran Hillfolk and it basically felt more I Claudius than any other session i've ever had and it had nothing to do with i claudius it was like we, we were like primitive hill people uh you know in the you know very very early stages of history but but just the mood in the room when you're interacting with people in that game uh very much felt like the the, the drama in the scenes in i claudius um, yeah everybody's got an agenda but everyone's got connections i mean she likes it the family thing it's like with, you know, the relationship with Caligula and Claudius, it's like, well, because that, that's kind of the key to Hill Folk is everyone has to be, they have, they have to have some emotional connection, but they have to have some emotional conflict at the same time, you know, and, and I, Claudius is full of, of those kind of relationships. Well, so. and, and with I, Claudius, what I was wondering, because I mean, with the, the big thing about Hill Folk is the whole point in each scene is that like some, each person wants something. And, yeah. and so it's a question of who gives, who gets what they want. And sometimes a person will give something, it will give the person the win because they, there's an advantage in it for them mechanically or whatever. Um, but the, the, this time around watching I Claudius, I was noticing every scene is like that. And, and I've been mm -hmm. paying attention to a lot of other shows and not every scene is like that in a show. So, I mean, I think ideally a lot of writers walk in with the assumption that that's what it should be. But, uh, you know, I've, you know, watching like, police procedurals with my parents lately and the, the you know a lot of the scenes don't do that for whatever reason um, no that's that's different different type of show entirely yeah. but uh but but, but I yeah, Claudius does you, that it's it's yeah, every scene when you, when you watch more dramatic based shows it is it is it is a it is a fun thing when you have hill folk in your head yeah. when you're watching a tv show like i claudius and you think okay what what is the who is the petitioner in the scene? What are they trying to get? And you know, it's like you actually you know it, it's a cliche to like watch a TV show or a movie and try and imagine the role playing mechanics in your head, yeah. but it actually it actually works with Hill Folk pretty well. Well, because because it really just boils down to the two characters want something and somebody's got to get something. You know what I mean? Like that's sort of yeah. like what it boils down to, and 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 you can just you can see it in every episode. Like you can just clearly see it in each scene. Yeah, I mean, like Breaking Bad is a show where you, where you can do it too. In a lot of cases, it's like it'll it'll come down to this character's doing this. But uh, but yeah, I, I but yeah, so that would be my number one mechanical pick. I mean, you can you can do it with a, any any role playing game because I mean, one thing I liked about about running Hill Folk because I ran it for a while in a previous campaign before the time we tried it because we, we didn't really have enough players. Yeah. the time we play we just wanted to you you wanted to try the system like well we don't have enough players but let's do a session because if you don't have a full 
complement of players, you run out of. You don't have enough people to bounce scenes off with each other, and it, it gets a little, a little stagnant. But, uh, but uh, the thing, the thing I found after I ran Hillfolk is when when I was running. I think the next thing I ran was Delta Green, and in my head, every time there was an interaction with a player, I'm like. What are the players trying to get? What is this NPC trying to get? And I was like really nailing the role playing in those scenes because we weren't using the whole folk mechanics, but I still had those mechanics kind of playing in my head. And uh, so anyway, it's, it's an interesting thing where you can kind of take ideas from that game and put them in anything without even using the mechanics. No, and the um, and yeah, I, I just I just think that I think that would work fine as Hill Folk. I think Hill Folk's a very uh, solid setup for that kind of. Uh, that kind of situation. So I would, I, I would agree with you. I think that's what we should run. And, and again, I think it would work fine for any other kind of campaign. Cause I think it's just the premise. It's not, it's not really like I've been in a lot of D and D games where you have that sort of a situation. Um, it could, it could work well. Yeah. In like if you, if you were trying to do like a pen dragon type sort of spinoff, do you know what I mean? Like, like take yeah. that kind of a system, you could do it with that. Um, and I think you could do it with, you know, you know, any pretty much any game where, where where that sort of court intrigue and or uh you know sort of uh, monarchy type system would 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 make sense um and 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 i think if you leaned on a D style campaign it would just have different elements it, you know you might you might there, there might be more of an you know clear sort of adventure approach to it and with the hill folk it would probably play out more like an i claudius uh, uh series of episodes uh, yeah, because I mean, that's the thing. The sequel wouldn't necessarily have to feel like this show. It could be, you know, lots of action-packed sword fights in Britain while you're in hiding. I yeah. mean, you have you'd have an utterly different show because it's like, yeah, it's there's a whole a whole world to uh, the series of I Claudius that's going on outside those doors where you could have very different stories going on. I, I wish I could remember the author's name. There was a, there was a there, there are a lot of fictional. Uh, sort of like historical fiction set in Rome, you know, it's a really, you know, for mysteries and all kinds of things. And I remember I I read a series of books and I cannot, I cannot remember the name of the books or the author, but it was about the invasion of Britain and it was great. And those would be like the, the top books I would definitely want to go back to. If I like, if you were like, if if you were going to run something like this, those would be perfect because it would give you all of the, uh, the, the details that you would sort of need to have in your brain of, you know, how to manage that sort of region of Rome, uh, just as a GM. Well, I guess I guess in in, in Hillfolk it's different because there is the, there is a GM, right? But it's not quite the same setup. As... Yeah, the GM. You've got a GM because uh, for people that have never played Hillfolk, what you do is everyone takes a turn calling a scene, and you kind of do a scene. My character is going to try and get this character to do this, and you do you play you play the scene. And the GM gets a turn also calling scenes. The GM has a little more control over the game, obviously. But, uh, uh, but the, GM, the GM's job in that is a little different in that, that they, basically if all the players are starting to get too friendly, I mean, obviously the GM's job is also to play any NPCs in scenes. If the players are all getting too friendly, they need to go, okay, how can I drive a wedge in here? Yeah. And if everyone, if everyone is getting too too fractious so it's getting to the point where it's like okay well why isn't every character going to just murder each other now mm-hmm. then then you kind of have to throw in the outside threat and go hey guys mm-hmm. you better work together so it's that okay. you know you've, you've kind of got this this uh 
you know, because actually there was there was a podcast recently where Robin Laws talked about why there's a GM because people were asking him what how would you play it without a GM? He's like you wouldn't mm. because without without the GM, he found that it, it tends to either everyone becomes buddies like you know in a sitcom in the third season where everybody likes the grumpy neighbor now yes. or, <laughs> or you know it's like hey everybody's friends and there's no one throwing insults at each other and those insults were funny and the show's not as funny anymore but uh you know but in a dramatic sense and but he's like yeah it's like you 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 need you need someone to stir the pot or calm the pot down when it gets too stirred someone someone needs to be objective and stand outside and and guide things a little. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think, uh, but I think Hillfolk would work really well for it. Um, and, and again, I think, I think the reason why is because the, the moment I played that game with you guys, I, it really, it was exactly like I Claudius in my head. It just felt like yeah. that kind of, you know, I'm in this, like, 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 uh, you know, just to give some, some background here, these usually I'm, 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 I'm fairly traditional in my taste with games. I would say, like, would you say it's probably pretty accurate? I tend to lean on yeah. traditional and I tend to be very immersive. And so I'm always a little bit reluctant with games like this, but this one, I found those, those, you know, there's stuff around the scenes that's not immersive, but once you get in the scene, it was so deeply immersive. I was stunned. Like I was very surprised. Um, and, yeah. and it was, and it reminded me of back in the nineties when we would play, a lot of times we would just kind of stop using the dice and just role play. Do you know what I mean? It, was, it almost yes. became a cliche and, and we went way too far overboard with it, but it reminded <laughs> me of those times when we were deeply in character, just kind of enjoying, you know, playing the character and, 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 it, but because there's a structure to it, it's not aimless. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's yeah, not just sort of, you're just doing it forever. Well, it has a purpose. Yeah, which brings up the other point of the GM is that when two players, if a player is trying to get something from another player and they keep going in circles, it's the GM's job to go, okay, scene, you know, yeah. the scene's over. The guy's not going to give it to you. End of scene. Yeah. You know, we, we've established that. Well, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing. The, my problem with a lot of games that are similar in, in concept to Hill Folk are that they have mechanics for determining what happens inside the scene. Hillfolk, yeah. the mechanics are all there to set up the scene, and then you play the, you literally just play the scene. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these games, which I'm not going to badmouth any games because there a lot of them are good games, but that they, you know, when you get to that crucial dramatic moment, suddenly you'll stop role playing and you'll pull dice out and decide, well, how does my character feel about this? And it's like, ah. Oh, that's yeah. exactly what I don't want from this kind of game. Yeah. No, no, I, I would agree. And there is like a mechanical incentive, if I remember, right? Like there's like a mechanical incentive to maybe give in sometimes. But Yeah, it but, is it's, term, but it's determined after the scene, yeah. not during it. You, yeah. You're like, did, did I get what I want? You know, and that kind of thing. You talk about it afterwards. And, and, and also it kind of emulates what's going on anyways, which is in a give and take situation you know, you might give in because you know it's giving you... Like, like if, if, if me and Adam are arguing over the podcast and Adam really wants to do like a Bozo the Clown episode for some reason and I'm confused as to why, you know, but <laughs> I, 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 might, I, might, I might give in because I know that, you know, down the road, Adam might be willing to do a show that I want to do or something. And so, yeah. and so, and, and so that's, that mechanic isn't so far away from that that it is disruptive in any way. It's 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 a it's a good way to sort of get at that without without actually having to have the episode you know the thing down the road that you get back for for giving in that time. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, it's 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 a thing where I mean, because basically the, the thing it's trying to emulate is when you're dealing with your family or your friends, you have to give in sometimes. And yeah. role players, role players when they're playing their character, like my character wants this, and they and they're not they're not they get they get so cut off in the the abstract idea of what their character wants that they're not acting like a person anymore. Where people people give up on things all the time. It's yeah. like okay, this time. Yeah, this this isn't that important to me. You win this argument. I don't I don't need to I don't need to yell all night about this. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I I I think that'd be if we do that, we'll probably you know uh, take it to RPG Lab or talk about it in some way because I, yeah, I think that's... that'll be fun. Um, and I, and I think it's I think it's an interesting premise. And uh, and yeah, so I don't. But this is it. This is the last I Claudius episode. Um, yeah. It's uh, again. I do have to apologize for how long this took. I know we were really me more than anybody, um, but I think I think it was kind of nice staggering it out because I feel like I savored each episode more. And normally when I watch I Claudius, I just kind of flurry through all of them. And this this gave me more thinking space between episodes, which actually was kind of nice. Um, yeah, I I like that as well. I mean that's. That's one thing I don't like about, you know, binge TV culture now is that you, you know, there is something to be said for, for taking a moment and thinking about an episode before you jump into the next episode. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I feel like a, a, not enough happens to that right now, but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 this is definitely a show where, where you can take a break between episodes and, and get a lot out of it. And no, and it, it uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I think, I think it was, um. I don't know it was, a, it was a lot of fun revisiting and and I was actually a little bit surprised even though I like I know you only last saw it in your 20s so you have a good excuse but the last time I saw it was like 2012 or so when I was working on Servants of Gaius uh, I yeah. made a point of rewatching it a couple of times and reading the books a couple of times and I don't know I guess with age your memory just kind of isn't what it used to be that's but, it but um but 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 it really was enjoyable, and also I was I was kind of worried. I was like, oh, you know, I saw it in 2012 again. Maybe that's too soon because it is a long <laughs> series, and maybe I'll be bored watching it this this soon after. But technically, it's the shortest season, shortest show we've ever covered. So. That's true. Yeah, I, I've built up so much endurance because <laughs> we've been doing like Babylon Five and Return of Condor Heroes and like these these super <laughs> mega 100 episode shows that. Uh, that it's nothing yeah 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 compared to babylon 5 this was like you know this was like eating vanilla ice cream um it was was easy this is one season of torchwood yeah uh... (laughs) yeah yeah it's one season of torchwood um but uh but yeah so i I guess we're going to continue on with the doctor who uh this season and we'll probably also start bringing in some other things now that we're done with like claudius i don't know what it's going to be i know there was some talk of maybe a wuxia series some talk of something else we might want to do a couple of movies to cleanse the palate which is always good um, or maybe a book I, I know that we've had some books that have i have i have a stack of books actually that i know i, I really need to get to um and one of them is a is related to a movie that we were going to watch at one point um i think something wicked this way comes was the uh oh yeah um, yeah that's right well torchwood led into that that's right i I actually bought the movie and the book so i'm uh i I, you know uh, (laughs) well but but, i I know i know matt's a big bradbury fan so maybe that's the time we can finally get him to come in on the podcast that that, yeah well well 
if we can contend with his encyclopedic knowledge of film, I think we'll, uh, (laughs) that's the, but yeah, I think, I think that would be a good idea. Um, uh, though I'd also kind of, I mean, there's a lot of type of movies and shows I'd like to have him on for now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and over at, uh, Wusha Workshop, we are going to be covering Heroes Shed No Tears, uh, next time. That's what me and Joel have decided. So, uh, I know we've, we've reviewed it on, on the Wusha Weekend podcast. I've reviewed it on the website before. And so now me and Joel are going to talk about it in a gaming context. And, uh, and then after that, we're hoping to do a Chinese ghost story with Adam and, and, and Joel present for, for the discussion. And so that, I think that should be interesting. And, uh. And yeah, so uh, tomorrow, Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. Uh, this is the Jet Li movie uh, by Shui Hark. It's a um, uh, or Choi Hark. It's a um, it's 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 one of the Dragon Gate in movies. Uh, we slowly over the course of Wusha Weekend, I've been I've been forcing people to do Dragon Gate movies, and this is the last one. So uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. And I guess until then, we will talk to you later. Bye.